Is there a conflict between science and faith? According to a recent report from Pew Research, some 59% of Americans say science and religion are often in conflict, while 38% say the two are mostly compatible. This is a hot topic right now. In fact, I recently ran a poll in our online community asking what I should cover in the next episode, and this was the clear winner. So, is the majority of Americans correct? Are science and Christian faith in conflict? It's time to unpack this question. This is Worldview Legacy, the show that helps Christian men become the worldview leaders their families and churches need. My name is Joel Sedekes. I am a Bible teacher and former pastor who used to defend the Christian worldview the completely wrong way. Then, God changed my attitude and my approach. Now I help Christians talk about their faith with confidence and to become better able to answer questions about it, whether those questions are coming from the world, from their kids, or from themselves. Today we're going to answer a question. How do you respond when someone tells you they can't believe in Christianity because they have a scientific mind? Or how will your son or daughter respond when his or her atheistic college professor tells him that science and Christianity have always been at odds and must be at odds. You want to build a legacy for your family in the Christian worldview, right? Well, learning how to address the supposed conflict between science and the Christian religion is an important part of that. Even if it's not a challenge that you yourself have come across recently, this is going to be something that your kids are inevitably going to deal with. It's going to happen. This is a topic that we have talked about before on this podcast, and this episode is going to be very similar to a previous one that we did almost two years ago called Why Science Needs Jesus. However, the sound quality on that episode, which actually was more than two years ago, was not very good. I recorded it in my car, on my phone. You can listen to that episode if you want, or the other episode with Lucas Giolis called Science and God via the link's in the show notes. Now, I know you've heard this before, that science and faith are in conflict. Well, we're going to lay that myth, that fable to rest now. If you've been wanting a simple guide to help you respond to the claim of supposed conflict between the Christian religion and science, this episode is for you. And if you're a guy who enjoys science as I do, and you're just looking for some encouragement that science is God's idea and that it's totally in line with your Christian faith, this this episode is for you as well. And if you're simply wanting one more apologetic weapon in your arsenal, this is going to give you what you need. If you enjoy this, then you must know about our online community. It's filled with hundreds of other members who are on the same journey as you. Maybe you already know about it, but this is where we share ideas and get solid answers to questions about the Christian faith and how to defend it. It's called the Think Squad. And I'll tell you more about the group and how to join at the end of the show, at the end of this episode. Okay, now, most Americans think that science and faith are in conflict. According to a recent report from Pew Research, some 59% of Americans say that science and religion are often in conflict. Is this correct? Well, as we seek to answer this question, we're also going to answer these questions. What are two kinds of invisible immaterial laws that we must presuppose in order to engage in science? 
What are induction and uniformity in nature, and how do these point to God? Where does the Bible teach that God designed the world in a way that points to him? What is the evolutionary argument against naturalism? And what is the problem of limited knowledge? And how does the problem of limited knowledge point to God? What we're going to see is that science needs Jesus. And we're going to discover this by looking at three things. We're going to look at the invisible laws of math and logic. We're going to look at uniformity in nature as well as induction. And we're going to look at the human mind itself. All right, let's start by looking at math and logic. The practice of science begins with a belief, or we might say faith, that there are some invisible laws governing the universe. These are the laws of logic and the principles of mathematics. We must assume that these will be consistent over time. For example, a statement can never be both true and false at the exact same time in the same way. That's logic. And one plus one will always equal two. That's math. These laws have attributes. And these attributes, these characteristics of these laws make perfect sense within the Christian worldview, but they do not make sense in a non-Christian worldview. For example, the laws of logic, the laws of math are non-physical. They're immaterial. They're not made of matter. As my friend Larry Delendi likes to say, you can't hand me a bucket of logic or a bucket of the number seven. They're unchanging, they're universally true, and they are knowable. These are the attributes of these laws. Biblical Christianity teaches that God is also all of these things. God is immaterial, according to John 4.24, God is spirit. Um, he is unchanging, according to Malachi 3.6. God is universal, he's everywhere, you cannot escape his presence. That's Psalm 139, verses 7 through 10. And God is knowable. In fact, God wants us to know him. He reveals himself to us. See Ezekiel 33, 29. So God has all these attributes and it therefore makes sense for a Christian who believes in God to believe in logic and math. Logic and math have these same attributes. It makes sense that God also has these attributes. What about the atheist, however? The atheist has nothing in his universe which can ground or provide a basis or explanation for logic and math. Atheists only have matter and energy to work with if they're materialists. And laws aren't made of matter and energy. Now, if you begin with the belief that God is there, that God is real, you get math and logic. If, however, you begin by presupposing that God is not there, you have no reason for expecting these things in nature. And when you find them in nature, when you find them in the world, you have no way of explaining them or accounting for them. Instead, you have to steal from the biblical worldview, the biblical system, the Christian system, in order to make sense of the things that you find in human experience. Okay, now we're talking from a Christian perspective, so how does all this point to Jesus? Well, the cornerstone of the biblical system, the Christian worldview, is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the God-man bridging the immaterial with the material. He is God the Spirit who became a man. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So he is unchanging. He is Lord of all. He's universal and he's knowable. In fact, he came so that we would know God. Read Hebrews 1, 1 and 2 for that. 
Colossians 1.17 says that Jesus is before all things and in him all things hold together. Hebrews 1.3 says that Jesus upholds all things by the word of his power. So these laws and these principles require a lawgiver, and Jesus fits the description of the kind of lawgiver they need to a T. In fact, if you start with biblical theology, if you start with the Christian worldview, these invisible laws of math and logic are exactly what you would expect to find. There's no conflict between math and logic and the Christian worldview. Science needs math and logic, and these laws of math and logic turn out to need Jesus. Isn't that cool? Now let's talk about uniformity in nature. In order to engage in science, we must assume, we must presuppose that nature is uniform. What does that mean? It means that the future will be like the past, all things considered. You can do an experiment uh, today and you can do it again tomorrow under the same conditions and you would expect to get the same results. It also means that the conclusions you come to today will still be true tomorrow. The future will be like the past. Uniformity in nature also refers to the fact that unobserved cases will be similar to observed cases. What does that mean? It means that you don't have to test every single instance of something. If you drop a bowling ball uh, from the top of 10 buildings and it falls downward every time, you can reasonably assume that if you drop it off of 10 more buildings, it will still fall as long as the conditions are the same. You know, you're not dropping it off a building in outer space or something like that. So that's uniformity in nature. The future will be like the past and unobserved cases will be similar to observed cases. That's necessary for science. You have to assume or presuppose that uniformity in nature is something that is real, something that obtains. Now let's talk about induction or inductive reasoning. This is something else that is required for science. But what does it mean? Here's what inductive reasoning means. It means that we can draw conclusions about the whole world based on a study of a very limited number of cases and facts. It's called induction, inductive reasoning. We are, we are, uh, we're not deducing, where, which is where you go from a general principle and reason your way down to a singular fact. Instead, we're reasoning our way from a certain number of facts and we're making uh, conclusions about the whole, about the about the general. We're going from the specific to the general. That's called induction. Now, the Bible presents God as one who worketh all things according to the counsel of his will, according to Ephesians 1.11. Excuse the KJV English, but I love how it phrases that. So we can make sense of induction because the Bible says this. God works all things out according to the counsel of his will. He is in total control. Why is the future like the past? Because God was God in the past, and God will be God in the future. And God is working everything out the way he wants. And one of the things that he wants is for human beings to live in a world in which discovery is possible. He wants us to know the truth, which would not be the case in a world without inductive reasoning or induction. Now, again, this points to Jesus. You see, the Bible reveals all this, and yet remember that the very same Bible also reveals that it is by Jesus Christ that God holds the world together and makes things happen the way that he wants. In Jesus, all things consist, Colossians 1.17 says. So Jesus Christ is the glue, the glue of being, the ontological glue that keeps the cosmos from breaking apart and turning to dust, Thanos style. 
Jesus holds the cosmos together. And he is the same one who earned the right to do so by dying on the cross and conquering death by rising again. By doing this, Jesus perfectly obeyed his father and became, the Bible says, the heir of the world. So today, all authority in the heavens and on the earth, that includes everything, belong to Jesus Christ, according to Matthew 28, 18. So here's the point. The problem of induction is solved only by starting with scripture and its teaching about God. And in the same way, uniformity in nature makes sense in the Christian worldview with Jesus at the helm of the cosmos. Believing this means believing the scriptures, the Bible, which also leads you inevitably to the good news about Jesus, that he is both Lord and Savior. The same Jesus who holds the universe together also became a man in order to die for sinners like you and me. The wages of sin is death, but Jesus took that death for his people. And Jesus rose again on the third day and he ascended to heaven. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 6.23 Jesus forgives and gives eternal life to all who receive him as Savior and Lord. So scientific truths connect up to some much bigger theological issues. Science needs induction. Science needs uniformity in nature. And these things need Jesus. Science needs Jesus. All right, now let's talk about the human mind. Did you ever stop to think about how incredible it is to think? Your mind is capable of doing some incredible thinking and creativity and design and memory and emotion. Your mind is amazing. Moreover, your mind can think logically. Actually, it must do this. I'm not saying that all your thoughts and mine are always perfectly consistent and logical, but you and I are hardwired to think in terms of things making sense. We seek logical order. When there's a contradiction, a violation of the laws of logic, it bothers us. Our minds can also think mathematically. Remember how we talked about mathematical laws earlier? Your mind is designed in such a way that the mathematical principles which govern the world also correspond to the mathematical laws in your own mind and thought. This fact amazed Albert Einstein. Your mind can think mathematically. It can also think empirically, scientifically. Your mind is capable of seeking truth by gathering data through your five senses, your eyes, your ears, your smell, your touch, and synthesizing all that data to come to true conclusions about the way the world really is. There is remarkable correspondence between your mind and the world and the invisible laws that govern the world. Now, which system of thought accounts for this? Does atheism? There are two glaring problems with atheism in terms of accounting for all that I've just been talking about. The first problem is that that evolution plus atheism equals ignorance. Let me tell you about the evolutionary argument against naturalism. I first learned about this when I was in seminary through a book by Alvin Plantinga. Others have expressed similar versions of this argument, like C.S. Lewis, but Plantinga's is probably the best known. Here's what it says. If naturalism is true, then the strongest explanation for how humans came about is evolution by natural selection, whether Darwin's version or some other version. 
But as noted atheistic scientist Richard Dawkins has said, Charles Darwin made it possible to be intellectually fulfilled as an atheist. So Darwin's theory of evolution or some version thereof is really the best thing going if you try to take God out of the equation. And I know that there are theistic evolutionists. We're talking about atheist forms of evolution. Remember, it's evolution plus atheism equals ignorance. So in other words, without God, all we are left with to govern the universe is chance. If evolution by natural selection were an unguided, undesigned, chance-driven process, then humans are essentially nothing more than self-aware apes. Now, this leads to a problem. It leads to the problem of the reliability of any belief which homo sapiens might possess. In other words, if God were not real, then we have no reason to think that our brains, which were not designed by God in this scheme, are in any way aimed at truth. So we can't trust any of our conclusions to actually be true. And this includes the conclusion that God does not exist. It leads to radical ignorance. Now, Dawkins may believe that Darwin made atheism intellectually fulfilling, but Darwin himself had some terrible doubts about this. He called it his horrid doubt. Here's what he said. Quote, But then with me the horrid doubt always arises, whether the convictions of man's mind, which has been developed from the mind of the lower animals, are of any value or at all trustworthy. Would anyone trust in the convictions of a monkey's mind if there are any convictions in such a mind? End quote. Vern Poitras highlights the problem of a scientific theory that relies on chance when he says, quote, If it were the case that chance ruled, science would have irrationality as its foundation. Such is not a desirable platform from which to try and launch a rational claim that we can dispense with God, end quote. So much for intellectually fulfilling atheism. So that's the first problem. The second problem is the problem of limited knowledge. It is simply a fact that we don't know everything that there is to know. That's just the way things are. It's unavoidable. Now, this presents a problem for us. It means that for every proposition that we believe to be true, there could be a fact out there in the universe somewhere that contradicts that proposition. We can never be sure, which means we can never be certain about anything that we think that we know, which means we can never have certain knowledge. But now the question arises, are you certain about that? See, we are left facing the stark reality that it's impossible to have radical uncertainty about everything. We must have some certain knowledge, but how do we explain that? when there could be a fact out there that contradicts everything that we think we know. So do we have some certain knowledge or do we have radical uncertainty about everything? This is the conundrum that atheism leads to. How is it possible to have any certain knowledge if we don't have all knowledge to know that there's not a fact out there that contradicts everything we think we know? I know we're getting a little heady here, but this is the problem of atheism. One of the problems. The only other way that we can have certain knowledge, a sure and certain starting point, a sure and certain starting point, say that five times fast, is to have some knowledge revealed by someone who does know everything. Now, that's not going to be me. That's not going to be you. But 
That is exactly what we believe that we have in the Christian worldview. We must receive some knowledge from God. And now this brings us to the biblical worldview. According to the Bible, God does give us knowledge. And he designed our minds in his image, according to Genesis chapter 1. He even wants us to use our minds to do science. We learn this from passages like Proverbs 25.2, which says, It is the glory of God to conceal a matter, and it is the glory of a king to search out a matter. As astronomer Galileo said, quote, I do not feel obliged to believe that the same God who has endowed us with senses, reason, and intellect has intended us to forego their use, end quote. In other words, God gave you your mind. He wants you to use it. Now, the same Bible that teaches that God designed our mind also teaches that God designed the world in such a way that it points to him. Where does the Bible teach this? Here are two passages. Psalm 111 verse 2 says, Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. And Psalm 19.2 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. Recognizing how creation points us to God, Sir Isaac Newton, one of the fathers of science, said, In the absence of any other proof, the thumb alone would convince me of God's existence. God is the God of science. He designed our minds for scientific inquiry, and he designed the world for us to explore scientifically. All this serves to explain why it was the Christian world that sparked the rise of modern science. Other cultures saw impressive mathematical advancements and innovations and inventions, but the actual scientific revolution happened as a result of Christianity. Christians stood on these biblical teachings and started exploring and testing their world. Pioneers of science like Newton, Brahe, and Kepler were men of Christian faith first and scientists second. The late Chuck Colson put it this way, The belief of Christians in reason, the very meaning of logos, also drove the scientific revolution. In fact, science itself might never have been invented if not for Christianity's belief that all the world could be explored for God's glory thus initiating the inductive methods essential to scientific advance. It did not develop earlier where it might have, in the civilizations of China and Islam, which possessed sufficient wealth and technical expertise. These civilizations lacked the necessary faith that human reason could discover the reason in all things. The great figures of the scientific revolution, Mendel, Copernicus, Kepler, Galileo, Newton, and Boyle were all profound Christians. Have you ever seen those bumper stickers that say, if you can read this, thank a teacher? Well, how about this? If you value science, thank a Christian. Or better yet, thank Jesus Christ. Now, the same God who made us and made the world also gave us the Bible. It was that Bible that contained the principles needed for the rise of modern science. But of course, the Bible is not primarily a book about science. It teaches about God's plan to save his people through his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus, the son of God, features preeminently in the story of the Bible. It's all about him. In fact, the Bible says in John 1, 3, that it was through Jesus that God created everything, including us. So when Jesus speaks, 
Jesus speaks as author. He possesses authority. When he makes a command, we need to listen. And he has commanded us to repent and believe the gospel. Mark 1.15. So guys, there's no way around it. Science requires minds that are designed by God. And yet, the same Bible tells us, also tells us that man suppresses the truth in unrighteousness, Romans 1.18. We don't interpret the world rightly on our own because of sin. That's why so many scientists are atheists. Our sin has us trapped, but only Jesus can set us free. When a sinner repents, when he turns from sin and receives Jesus as Savior and Lord, he is set free to interpret the world rightly. The Bible says that all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Christ, Colossians 2.3. So then, science needs properly functioning minds, and minds need Jesus. Science needs Jesus. Science is not the enemy of Christian faith. Instead, Christian faith is the presupposition that makes science make sense. So let's look back at where we've been. What are the two kinds of invisible immaterial laws that we must presuppose in order to engage in science? They are logic and math. And like God, they are immaterial, unchanging, universal, and knowable. So they make sense in the Christian worldview with God as their foundation. But if you take God out of the picture and replace him with matter and energy and chance, suddenly there is no adequate foundation for logic and math. We talked about uniformity in nature, that the future will be like the past, that unobserved cases will be similar to observed cases. And we must presuppose this in order to engage in science. This assumes that there is a faithfulness, a reliability in the cosmos that is identical to what the Bible teaches. Take away that biblical teaching and good luck trying to account for unity, uniformity in nature. We talked about induction, inductive reasoning, and how that points to God. We said that induction was the process of reasoning or drawing a conclusion from facts to general principles from particular facts or individual cases. And it assumes that there is a kind of order to the universe that makes sense if the whole thing is overseen, superintended by the God of the Bible. Where does the Bible teach that God designed the world in a way that points to him? Well, we looked at a few passages and there are many passages that speak to this, but we can read it in Psalm 111 verse 2 and Psalm 19 verse 1. And... We also talked about the evolutionary argument against naturalism, which basically says that if the theory of evolution is true and there is no God, then there is no good reason to think that our minds evolved to know truth. Evolution plus atheism equals radical uncertainty or ignorance. We also talked about the problem of limited knowledge. Because our knowledge is limited, we can't know everything. There could be a fact out there that contradicts everything that we think we know. This means we must have revelation from God, that we can know some things for certain. This revelation is a foundation for knowledge, and it's necessary for science. Now, there are some resources that you can check out in the show notes. But if you enjoy this, then you really need to know about our free community, the Think Squad. This is a group of almost 700 members. It is the place to get exclusive resources and to connect to others who are on this journey to build a legacy where you and your wife and your kids will be able to confidently 
share your faith, and answer the questions that the world is asking. How do you join? Go to Facebook, open up Facebook, and search for Think Squad. T-H-I-N-K-S-Q-U-A-D. Answer the short membership questions, and that is all that it takes. So thank you for listening to Worldview Legacy. This episode was produced by yours truly, Joel Sedeckes, and is a production of the Think Institute. We equip believers to explain, share, and defend the Christian message. And we are based by God's grace.